Hello and welcome to the Bubble Ball Podcast. My name is Seth Nevsky and with me through the power of Zoom is my co-host Matthew Winnick. Matt, how's it going? It's going well. We're already into September now and you know you'd think that basketball is a month away but really basketball is a month away from being finished. Yeah, nice smell of September basketball I guess. Just a just an odd thing to say. But this as might I, be the I, last I, month, September, I think this might be the last month that basketball has ever been played in. Hmm. Yeah, we've already had that August and July go through. Plus, July is when summer league is. August, we already go over that hump. So now September is. This is the first September. Uh huh. And um, we're deep into the playoffs already. I guess uh, second round, a series is already over. So we're going to start with the Bucks team eulogy. Before we get into some other stuff down the line, we're going to kind of analyze the three second round series still going on. Uh, one of them might not be going on tonight. So if you're listening to this past Wednesday night. Uh, no spoilers. Uh, and the top of that, uh, just where we might get into our all NBA first round teams, but, but that's way down the line. So let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks team eulogy. Uh, and let's start with their MVP. Disappointing playoff, but it's really hard to go with anyone else. Giannis Adetokounmpo, I mean, he's the best defensive player in the league while also being at the very worst, a top seven offensive player. There's really nowhere else to go. Yeah, well, when you're thinking about the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year of the Bucks, yeah, it would be exactly. easy to think about the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year of the NBA, which likely will be, I mean, already has been for Defensive Giannis and then Kumpo and the MVP probably as well. So that's pretty easy there. It's not too um, surprising. And there's been a lot of talk about Giannis, like you said, disappointing playoffs about really what type of player he is and who needs to be around him. And I think we'll get to that a lot more when we get to the end of the eulogy, talking about next year's probable suggested directions, which I have some thoughts on Giannis's future outlook for sure. But when you look at the season from, you know, the beginning of October, from October till now, almost a full year, it's tough to argue anyone else other than Giannis for those two. Yeah, and even though he has been disappointing these playoffs, like let's not forget he's a year removed from being within sniffing distance of the NBA Finals. And as well as that, like, you know, he he was almost historically awesome in the regular season this year. And we can get to the role stuff later on, but, I mean, he's still probably at least top two in a guy for the next 10 years you'd like to have on a franchise going forward, maybe – if you, if you think very highly of Tatum, you move him to top three. But either way, I mean, Giannis is Giannis. Uh, like you said, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. Probably, you know, he already won Defensive Player of the Year. Probably going to win MVP this year as well. Uh, just for comparison's sake, how do you think this kind of compares to, uh, I believe it was the 07 season in which Dirk won MVP, but then lost in the first round in the 1-8 matchup to the famous We Believe Warriors? That's a good, you know, that makes sense. I think that, I don't know what Dirk would have done the year previous, but I think the Bucks collapse in the Eastern Conference Finals last year really emphasized this exit, right? If this was their first year of prominence as the one seed and this happened, it'd obviously be a disappointment, but there'd be more optimism going towards the next year. Whereas since this is the second time where the Bucks have lost to a team that they were favored against, and in some not so great fashion, one way being a two nothing loss, the other way being an O three hole. I think that sense of optimism that you'd normally feel from a one seed with a young core is not quite there, which is kind of rare for a team that's still so young 
but has been relatively disappointing in the playoffs two straight years. Yeah, and the issue is Giannis was kind of a late bloomer, so you kind of assume that they have more time than they currently do, being that Giannis is, you know, he has two years left, or now one, one year, year left. left. Uh-huh. And, and he's uh, still young, but because he came into the league so early, it feels like he's only a third or fourth year player, but I believe he's played, what, six years now? Uh, he came in the league 2013, so seven. bad math. Yeah, seven. Uh, by the way, Dirk, previous to his MVP year, he blew a 2-1 lead in the NBA Finals to uh, Wade's Heat. Okay, well, at least he got there, right? So exactly. Dirk uh, could the Finals year before. If Giannis had done that, I think there'd be a lot less of this whole controversy coming up here. Mm-hmm. But either way, I mean, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, there is nowhere else to go, period. Uh, so let's move on to Most Improved Player. We have different options. I still like yours, though. I have them for my sixth man of the year. And really, I feel like there were three options either of us could have gone with. The one I went with, the one you went with, and George Hill. Uh, I went with Chris Middleton. You went with Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo, Dante DiVincenzo a guy that doubled his scoring from his rookie year to his sophomore year. And he's really a guy that he's always just been effective, whether you watched him in college at Villanova or in his rookie year where he didn't play as much as this year. It's not often that there's a player that you can't necessarily pinpoint, okay, he's amazing at this. This is his strength. He's a very good player. He makes threes. He's smart. He's a good defender. He's relatively athletic. And I think that he's a player that is going to continue to get more and more run and got a lot more run in his second year than his first year and made good on that both statistically and and efficiently. Yeah. Uh, eight minute jump in minutes per game. He also, you know, just lacked the injuries he had in his rookie year. Uh, his three point shots, not quite there yet, but you see this a lot with some guys just fresh into the league. Uh, it takes them a while to get acclimated to the NBA three-point line. I still think long-term he'll at least be a league average three-point shooter. I mean, this is a dude who last year at Villanova shot 40.1% his last year, not last year. Sorry about that. Uh, but, yeah, he was a great defender this year, and I always liked him, but I liked him more for he seemed like he had a good handle. He was good at getting to the rim in college, could shoot to three. But, yeah, he's just been more of a hound than I remember in college playing defense. Uh, and Bud's system, which we will talk about extensively later, requires a lot of fighting around screens, whether that be, you know, going under and trying to contest or, you know, trying to, like, go over and, and just beat the shit out of the pick setter to get in front of the defender. But he, he was pretty good at both of them. He has long arms. Uh, and I think depending on – oh, my God. Once again, sorry about this. We need to have at least one of these every podcast, I guess. We do, yes. Uh, so, so going into next season, depending on what the Bucks decide to do with their roster, I could see him starting, or I could see him starting for another team in the NBA. Yeah, he is just really someone that is a starter. And a player that he reminds me a lot of, and it's interesting because they were college teammates for a year, is, is Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. Just someone that you know, the three-point shot isn't necessarily going to be there right off the bat, and Hart definitely worked on it over the past couple of years. But he's an all-around player who's going to be a smart, hard worker, and he's not typically going to be a negative. Then again, the problem with someone like DiVincenzo and someone like Josh Hart is I don't know how high you can project him. So when you're thinking about your future as the Bucks, he's going to be a guy that you want in your plans, but 
Is he a sixth man? Is he the fifth option offensively? Like there are options, but I don't see a jump too, too high in this future. And much like Hart, he came into the league, uh, I guess, a bit older than a lot of other rookies. He's currently 23 years old. Uh, Josh Hart, I believe, is already 25, despite this being his uh, third year in the NBA. Right. So I think Hart played three or four years in college, but Dante played two. Yeah, so if he doesn't get this done really next year and take a big leap, he'll probably just be a, a fifth starter type. But that's, I mean, they drafted him 17th. That's pretty good value for the pick. Yeah, and there were a lot of doubters on him as well because he did have the sort of repertoire of a, of a good college player, not a great NBA player. But I think Villanova guys in particular, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, who all sort of fit under the lens of all-around smart role player, have taken that and shown that it can be effective at the next level. He also has better physical tools, in my opinion, than a Brunson or a Hart. Like Hart, his uh, vertical, if you remember, was just incredibly underwhelming at the combine. But DiVincenzo was a bit more natural of an athlete. Uh, but right. my most improved player, Chris Middleton, he was an all-star last year, so this might seem a bit cheap. But I think the improvement is surely there, and at the very least in the regular season. Last year, 44% from the year. Uh, this year, almost 50%. 38% from three to 42%. He's just a lot more efficient, and with that, he's gotten a few more buckets. Uh, at one point, I, I had a stat about him uh, where – let me try to pull it up. But basically, with his splits and with his per 100 marks, that matches, like, Larry Bird, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Carl Anthony Towns, like, dudes who could for sure, let's say, be the second-best player on a championship team. Needless to say, he was not that. However, I mean, he just had an incredible season. So that's why I chose Middleton despite being an all-star last season. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And I think that Middleton definitely had to take a step up with Malcolm Brogdon going to Indiana. With that being said, and I think this has been a consistent trend over the course of these team eulogies, I think that I'm not necessarily one that would go for Chris Middleton given that you know, not too much has changed other than that efficiency has gone up. And, and I guess his role has gone up as well, but him as an overall player, you know, hasn't really been a transformation. And I typically look at someone who's transformed their game to the next level, which Middleton doesn't necessarily done, but, but you are right. He's refined what he's good at and done it better. Mm-hmm. For sure. And just to pull up the exact tweet, Chris Middleton is the sixth player ever to put up 39 and six per 100 while shooting 40% from three. The other five, Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Carl Anthony Towns being on that list is crazy. And also, Middleton, you know, of course, he was only two made field goals away, I believe, two mid field goals away from that 50 40 90 club and he would have been one of the first if I'm not mistaken five players in NBA history to do that on 20 points per game averaged or more so it's clear that his scoring intake and efficiency is relatively rare for a player but also there haven't been many you know six foot eight long scorers alongside one of the most physically dominating interior presences in the NBA history on an offense that prioritizes open three-point shots so there is that too Mm-hmm. Uh, so next, we are moving on. I guess we already did DiVincenzo as sixth man of the year. Uh, but let's just say, let's just shout out George Hill, uh, who at the very least in the playoffs was more essential to the Bucks. But 
we decided to base this more off the regular season in which uh, DiVincenzo's defense was just so valuable to the Bucs uh, and really showed out. But Hill was the more dependable playoff player. He shot a whopping 46% from three. So no diss to George Hill. Uh, but in the regular season, DiVincenzo was a touch better. Yeah, th- th- it makes sense because Hill was super important. I would say maybe if it was the most important bench player, George Hill would make sense. But in terms of the six men of the year, probably Dante. Yeah, and we really saw a ramp up with Hill's minutes in the playoffs, which is a product of him just being 34 years old. And a product of Eric Bledsoe being Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs and not being able to make a three-pointer. Also very true, and I'm very conflicted on Bledsoe, as I mentioned previously about where he is compared to a guy named Schroeder, but perhaps we'll get to that later. Uh, Best addition, this is really by default, uh, Wes Matthews. The only kind of, outside if you want to say like Corver's the rotation guy, which like he kind of is, he plays consistent minutes, just very few consistent minutes. Uh, so they were really the only two rotation guys throughout the entire season uh, and that they had Lopez on the roster. A bit. Sorry? I guess Robin Lopez played a little bit. I, I, would, I wouldn't really call – like 14.5 is even less than Corver, who's 16.6 minutes per game. Yeah. I guess they added Marvin at the end of the season. But, I mean, Wesley Matthews started for them. Once again, he, he's still a very good defender, I think, uh, at, thir- at age 33. Knocked down 36.4% of his threes. Not a starter at this point in his career, I don't think, just because of the low volume. But, I mean, he was valuable for them, especially in the regular season. Yeah, very valuable player and the type of player that you want when he's your fourth or fifth option. Not only is he going to defend for you and make threes, but he's been around the NBA and he knows a lot about the game and can teach it to young players that, you know, maybe you're looking to develop a 3 and D guy who is missing one of those two qualities or attributes. He's a good player to have on your roster to help out. The thing with the Bucks is they really needed him because they don't have a lot of players like Wesley Matthews on their roster. So he ended up being very effective for them. Yeah. And he was actually a pretty good matchup against Jimmy Butler, uh, despite, you know, not having the athleticism that Butler has. Uh, but next we move to biggest disappointer. We have the same guy, Brooke Lopez. Uh, I- I'm going to have him in a couple more things uh, later on, but at least in the regular season, Uh, He shot 31.4% from three this season. Last season, he was around 37%. And uh, though the Bucs were awesome in the regular season, which, uh, you know, so they weren't that affected by his drop in three-point shooting. But, I mean, still, you know, you'd much rather have 37% out there than 31%. And I think that there's a lot of things that happen with the Bucs that are a product of the system. And this seems like another example of that to me. There's no way that Brooke Lopez needs to be shooting as many threes as he does. He is an effective player on the inside. We do not see it at all anymore, which kind of makes sense because of Giannis. But I really just think that, you know, Giannis is more of a a big man at this point. I, I know that he brings the ball up a ton and he plays guard, but he's more of a big. And having Brooke Lopez essentially in a way offensively play the power forward because when Giannis doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's often down low. So, you know, Brooke Lopez at his mobility level and at his size really is not a power forward offensively. And that's really, I think, kind of made it a little more difficult and the shot isn't falling as much as it has in previous years. And just to add on the weirdness that is uh, Bud's current system, they very much need him on the defensive end playing that drop defense that they do. 
uh, like Lopez and Adetokounmpo's rim protectors really feed off of each other. But yeah, I wonder offensively. I mean, they're paying Lopez $12 million a year. I'm saying purely on the offensive end, if you replace Brooke Lopez with Myers Leonard, I think they're arguably better because yeah. uh, Leonard is the more consistent three-point shooter. No, for sure. I think offensively that makes sense. Or even better, someone like Kelly Olenek, who can not only make that three, but put the ball on the floor and make plays there too, which is much more of a better complement. It's kind of like they turned Brooke Lopez into someone that he wasn't, when in reality, offensively, you could sign a lot of players that are what they want Brooke Lopez to be for much cheaper. It's just when you get defensively, it's a whole different story. In my opinion, that was the bigger sin than signing Bledsoe for $17 million. I I think Brogdon was more essential to that roster than Lopez. Uh, Bledsoe, obviously, you know, in the playoffs, he's, he's melted in the past two seasons, but he's just such a good point guard defender, and he is, at the very least, a driving threat. So I wonder what would happen, like say they sign Brogdon and then they get one of these floor spacers uh, to compliment Giannis, who is also on the larger side. And maybe their defense doesn't suffer too much and they have a, an even better offense. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it really just comes down to style. And because we've seen so often that Mike Budenholzer was so against changing his style and really on it then it kind of makes it harder to to make these free agency decisions because you often think of fit more than talent and that Mm -hmm. can often cloud your you know your thought process Uh uh-huh next we get to bubble breakout player now you've left your your ballot absent which makes sense but at the same time speaking of Brooke, Brooke Lopez although he's not all that consistent in the bubble regular season, 20 points a game, 48% from the field, 44% from three, while still being that deterrent at the rim. So, I mean, he was really good in the bubble, and I think that's pretty hard to deny. So that's why I gave it to him. Yeah, it makes sense because he was a lot better in the bubble. I just, I don't, you know, I don't like supporting mediocrity, and that's mm-hmm. really what the Bucks were this entire bubble, not only mediocrity, but disappointing mediocrity because they went from being the best team in the NBA to far from that. And they're, they're, they're citing, you know, lack of home court advantage as that being a big reason why, but you know, that's every team. Yeah. I'm not really going to call that any sort of valid. So I'm just going to stick with no one because no one broke out. And I don't feel like there's anyone that fits that billing for me. Fair. I'd say they did lose a bit in home court advantage, but like you said, every high seed is, you know, the same thing is happening to them. And, uh, you know, I I wasn't too concerned by their bubble regular season because they weren't trying, but maybe that's the opposite mentality to have in that case. And uh, at, at points in the season, they were my pick to win the league. And now they're going home early in a gross second round series. But now we head to their playoff MVP, uh, and we both have Giannis Adetokounmpo, who, despite playing nine games to the Bucks ten in total, I mean, he was clearly their best player, and yeah, he was disappointing no at times. But I mean, it's hard to deny that twenty-seven, fourteen, and six, even though that's underachieving for him, is still the best that they had on their roster. So it's Giannis. No, for sure, it makes total sense, and there's not much arguing on that one. But then, second round MVP series, because Giannis did miss that one game. And kind of a bit of that game before that. And also didn't play an autumn minutes because, you know, Mike Budenholzer. Yeah. I think that uh, Brooke Lopez is the sensible fit for both of us. 
Yeah, for sure. 18 and seven, 53% from the field, 43% from three. Uh, shout out to Chris Middleton. He had a couple bad games in there, but he was also their savior uh, in, in game four from making it just a complete train wreck of a season. Uh, but, but yeah, Lopez was more consistent, oddly enough, despite us talking about his inconsistency in the regular season. He was more consistent in this playoff series, uh, which kind of makes sense being that, you know, they, uh, they didn't really want to stretch all the way to three to defend him. No, for sure not. And that's kind of a byproduct of why that ended up happening. And also the Heat are really smart defensively, picking their spots, picking their matchups. Like the same reason that Bledsoe was wide open was why Lopez was wide open and the Heat were playing their percentages. And, hey, if one out of two of those guys beats you, then you're probably still not winning the game. So they, make, they took their chances – ganged up on Middleton and Giannis and let Bledsoe and Lopez beat them and only one of them beat them and hey the series only went five games so yeah uh, now we head to the series MVP and I'm not a big talking heads guy but I think Jimmy Butler from now on his nickname should be psycho killer after uh, the series that he played uh, in the second round 23 six and four 53 percent from the field shouts to Jimmy for 46 percent from three uh, it was only on 11 attempts but that's still you know, way better from three than in the regular season. Uh, and, you know, he was talking shit to cameras. He was uh, he was just basically everywhere he could be in this series. And we've both been high on him compared to, say, Paul George. And I think that that's, that's paying off in these playoffs for sure. I mean, it's crazy to me because I was thinking about this yesterday. If you think about it from an, from an outside point of view, without really contextualizing everything, thinking about the fact that Jimmy Butler – got further in the playoffs with a team consist a starting lineup consisting of Goran Dragic, Jay Crowder, Duncan Robinson, and Bam Adebayo than he did with the starting lineup consisting of J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, mm. Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid is just crazy. Because talent-wise, it's not even comparable to supporting cast. Yet, whether it's luck, whether it's coaching, whatever it is, Jimmy Butler got further in the playoffs with this group of guys. And it just further shows that Jimmy Butler is really a guy that if you surround him with people that work as hard as he does, is just going to thrive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a big Jimmy guy. He said it himself. He, he's a winner, even though he hasn't won a title yet. He's a winner. I think the same thing about a dude like Chris Paul. And despite some shaky playoff shooting performances before he won a ring, I thought the same thing about Kyle Lowry. He, he plays his absolute heart out. Uh, some people dislike the passion, but I mean, it makes perfect sense in the Heat organization. I think the difference between the Sixers last season and the Heat this season, and by the way, the Sixers did have a great season last season. So uh, Right, but I'm saying further in the playoffs, right? I'd say coaching and fit, yeah. personally. I, I think that they both heavily contribute here. Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, Embiid and Simmons take up a bulk of those touches, so it's not like Jimmy was the most game-planned poor player on that team. That's true. Uh, but – He's a lot more operating space with this team. Also, Spolstra knows how to make adjustments, which Brett Brown, despite making more adjustments than Bud, and by the way, I don't think he's the better coach than Bud, so don't get at me, didn't always make the right adjustments. Uh, and, and Spolstra, you know, as I've said, he's a top five coach in the league and for good reason. For sure. He's, a really, he's really shown in these playoffs, and I think he will continue to show with whoever he faces in the next round that he is an elite coach because – whether it's Toronto or Boston going up against the Heat, that is, those will be two of what are considered the three best coaches in the NBA, most certainly. 
And I think that Spolstra really has a chance to show that he is at the level of those two, of, of Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens. Yeah, I think he for sure is. Uh, and, you know, I think just as Raptors fans, we think Nurse is a great coach. I, I still do, but, you know, some people had him as far and away the best coach in the league. I, I think it's a bit more tiered than that. Probably the top three and almost the top five are, are just neck and neck, in my opinion. Uh, but let's just go to cause of death. We kind of have similar answers. Mine was Mike Budenholzer. I think he's a great regular season coach. I really don't like classifying coaches in this way, but I think more so than Dan Tony, being that Dan Tony at least plays his guys a bunch of minutes where, where Bud is a lot more reluctant and says some quotes that don't really make much sense. But, uh, but yeah, I think just not playing Giannis and Chris Middleton that many minutes compared to stars around the league and um, just not getting his team used to making the adjustments uh, defense-wise and offense-wise that they would need to make for a playoff series when teams are keying in on those specific uh, adjustments, just not doing that kind of it, it less in my opinion of him. And I think it's the reason why we're seeing them go home in this fashion in round two. Yeah, and it's interesting that D'Antoni, and it kind of makes sense that D'Antoni and Budenholzer are two of the quote-unquote regular season coaches because they are two of the most variant styles in the NBA and the question is which way is it is it that the regular seasons are really successful because teams don't have the time or the need to overly scout them or are they not that good in the playoffs because you know what I mean like are they just is the style effective or is the style just effective in the regular season because you don't have time to key in on it but if you just do key in on it then you don't have much of an effective uh team because you're so one-dimensional like wouldn't you say that NBA teams if there is a one-dimensional team in a playoff series where they're giving their full attention towards that team are able to snuff it out yeah I'd say that that's typically you're right just a, a poor strategy to only have one way of playing and to be fair I do think whatever happens in the series D'Antoni has gotten a lot better at this he made it a, a focus to concentrate on putting a bit more movement in his offense in the regular season in the case that they need to pull it out in the playoffs, which they have a few times. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm not sure if he orchestrated the Capella trade, but just, just kind of understanding that going small would probably be their only route to major success, while at the same time just being able to vary that look in a few different ways. They've switched, they've keyed in, and, and um, you know stuck to certain matchups at times. But And they even played his own a couple times in this series, which, you know, is, is kind of anti-Dantoni in a few ways. So, so I do think he's gotten better at this. Bud is a, is a semi-young head coach. Maybe he, he gets better at this later on. But once again, you can never fault D'Antoni in the way uh, of saying he doesn't play his top guys enough. Like, if anything, that's kind of been a bit too harsh in the regular season. But Bud just, I mean, that quote's going to haunt him forever. Like, this is the stealing, like, 36 minutes yeah, for that's, that's crazy. Middleton and Giannis. Like and I think it was either the day before or the day after that Kyle Lowry, you know, had mm -hmm. his 46-and-a-half-minute game at, what, six or seven years older and 10 or 11 inches shorter and all that. It's just – that's just not true. Mm -hmm. And if he only expects to play his best guys 36 minutes in a playoff series – like, tough break, bud, but you're probably not going to win a title. Yeah, for sure. It's just, at the end of the day, do you think they keep Budenholzer after this? Is my re really one big question. 
that I'm so confused by this team. And you kind of see that later on with my probable and suggested direction, just because they probably optimized playing around Giannis, but maybe they shouldn't do that and instead should optimize getting some variance in their offense and defense. So like on one hand, yes. And that definitely makes sense. But on the other hand, when you have someone as talented as Giannis, it's hard to just, you know, change the style from being surrounding him to just not right. Like you don't normally see that sort of pushing away from your best player. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I've seen a Chris Paul trade floating around and I mean, I don't know who you get better than Budenholzer. You might need to do it. You might need to promote Darvin Ham, for example. Uh, but I mean, a Paul trade, I kind of, I kind of see as being a possibility that doesn't really tarnish their depth all that much. Uh, like just the deal that I kind of think would be the way to go is Ilyasova, Bledsoe, Dragon Bender, DJ Wilson, Dante DiVincenzo, and uh, just a bunch of picks in there. So four seconds and a first for Chris Paul. Just because, I mean, Chris Paul can run an offense when Giannis isn't at his best. Giannis hasn't been the role man many times, but he would be an awesome role man next to Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's a, a great enough shooter that when Giannis is just driving down the court and hitting the corners, that he can do that at a pretty high rate. So I, I might prefer that move to firing Bud, unless, you know, kind of they have that intel that the Raptors did with Nurse, uh, for example, that that Ham will do the things that, Bud won't, much like how Nurse would do the things that Casey won't. AKA play his players more. Yeah, for sure. I think that another big thing, and and this is what I was going to mention about Giannis at the very beginning, is so obviously Richard Jefferson gave that comment that Giannis is more of a Pippin looking for his Jordan. But something I heard this morning on ESPN, which I think is very true, is that it's not Giannis is Pippin looking for Jordan. It's Giannis is Shaq looking for Kobe or Shaq looking for Dwayne Wade, where, and Chris Middleton has been playing that role, but he just isn't good enough. He isn't good enough as a high usage, ball in your hand, get me a bucket player. And when Shaq, like Shaq never won a championship by himself. All of his championships were with prime Kobe or prime Dwayne Wade. And I don't know how you get that guy. And Chris Paul is not that guy. Chris Paul is a variation of that guy, but he's also on the verge of being past his prime. Are you able to pair Giannis with an elite scorer? And that's maybe the, Chris Middleton is that, but I don't know. That's the issue. I think at this at this move, if you take a swing, it should be the Paul swing. And we just saw him coming off of an awesome year. And um, I think the the difference between like obviously Bryant and Wade are just so much more, or we're just so much more athletic than Middleton. But I think the bigger difference is, despite kind of the barbs that people get at Kobe he was, because of his athleticism, just a much better passer. And Wade especially was a much better passer. So Middleton is never going to necessarily feed Giannis. He's going to be the, if I run an offense, it's your turn, my turn. Uh, right. Meanwhile, you know, Kobe and Wade also had their version of your turn, my turn, but they could also drop it off to the post, which also, you know, just a function of modern basketball, we haven't seen Giannis that much in the post. Yeah, so the questions really that keep with the Bucks at this point is, do you keep Budenholzer? If not, what are your better options? 
do you, you know, try to go for Chris Paul? And if you do, what's that trade looking like? There are all these things, but it also wouldn't surprise me if things stay similar and they give it one more try. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Excuse me. This was an embarrassing fashion to go out, but, you know, uh, not to uh, change the blame. But like the Bucks said, you know, maybe if, if, if the, uh, the season was a bit more normal and the postseason was a bit more normal, this would play out slightly better. Yeah, well, you know what? Good luck to the Bucks moving forward. I think that they are not one of the two or three teams in the East that I have the best projections for moving forward. But, hey, I hope that the window doesn't fully close on them. I do feel a little bad. Yeah, and also as a Raptors fan, as much as I'd like to see Giannis in a Raptors jersey, like I like the idea of a dude sticking it out for one franchise. Like I know that that's kind of an antiquated idea and player empowerment and blah, 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 blah. Do what you want, players. I'm not saying you can't do what you want. I'm just saying, you know, I like the idea of the retro player who wants to get it done for one franchise. Yeah, I get that. I think that he's going to go somewhere eventually, and it might not be this year, but I'm oh, sorry, not, might not be next year, but even if he does resign with Milwaukee, I don't know if it's going to be long-term, long-term. Mm-hmm. We've seen the elite of elite superstars in their prime tend to go for one-in-ones or two-in-ones and just giving themselves more flexibility. The only reason Giannis wouldn't do that is if there are serious potentials of major drop in cap over the next couple of years and he just takes his money while he can. I don't know necessarily how he's going to play it out, but I don't think that he's going to be long-term, long-term in Milwaukee. Yeah, well, uh, I guess no one knows at this point. Uh, Now let's move on to the three playoff series that are still happening. Let's start in the East with the 2-3. Currently, the Raptors are down 3-2 to the Celtics. Uh, I have the Celtics winning the series at the start of the series. I had the Raptors winning just because I I thought the Hayward absence would be a big problem for the Celtics, but they've still just, their half-court offense has been significantly better than the Raptors. I know the Raptors are dealing with a lot of unlucky shooting, for sure. Uh, Some foul issues that could be attributed to inconsistent refing. Let's just say I'm not trying to get conspiratorial, but like I'm not the only one saying this. Uh, And and yeah, I think the Raptors' half-court offense is legitimately a problem. At the very least, I think Siakam should be playing better than this, even though I don't think he is a, you know, number one guy, nor will he ever be a number one guy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the max contract the Raptors gave him was bad. And yes, the biggest thing for me is just, I didn't expect going into the series that the Celtics would have the first, second, and third most talented players. That's clearly been the case because Siakam still hasn't, you know, taken that leap back into all-star starter level that he was to start the season. And, you know, first round playoff and Vliet really hasn't been that same guy, which I didn't quite expect with Marcus Smart on him a lot of the time. And when it comes down to it, if you have between Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, normally two out of three of them are on the court at all times. And it's just really, really hard for the Raptors who have, like you said, struggled immensely in the half court offensively to keep up with a team that has two of the three most talented players on at all times. And what's kind of even more confusing than that is there are minutes where they have Wanamaker and one of the Williams is on, and those are the minutes that the Raptors should be winning, hypothetically, but they just haven't. Like, they're both Wanamaker and uh, both the Williamses are all plus players in this series. So, I mean, I think, I think they're just outplaying the Raptors, and it's hard to say, and 
Who knows with home court, maybe this series is slightly different and maybe they'll somehow blow out the Celtics tonight. Once again, I think shooting luck does play a part of it, but I, I think just watching, it's hard to say that the Raptors have been better than the Celtics. No, they definitely have not been better than the Celtics. And the only reason why the Raptors are still in this series is, well, A, the lucky OG Ananobi shot. Well, call it lucky if you want. It was a great pass and a great shot. One is that, and two, their experience and their playoff experience and their toughness and their versatility has kept them in it. But it's just going to be tough for them to win two straight games against a team that's clearly better than them. Like, they can do it, and it's certainly not impossible, but they're going to need some incredible defense and also some luck. Like, Tatum and Brown haven't even been awesome together. I, there definitely hasn't been a game where Walker, Brown, and Tatum have all been great at once. And the fact that, that hasn't happened is kind of lucky on the Raptors' part. But it's, you know, holding that group of players down for two more games is going to be tough. Yeah, and also, despite, you know, at, at the very least, uh, you know, they've been probably the three best offensive players in the series, unless maybe Cal Lowry. Uh, he's, he's still impressed me on that end. But either way... Like, they have been less efficient than they typically are. It's just a product of having all three of them. Yeah. Where once, like, you will at least be a league average half-court offense if one of them is taking the shot, and the Raptors don't have a guy like that. So it, it's just the Raptors are trying to claw things out. I don't think this is a fault on really anyone in the organization. They're just less talented, and this was going to kind of be a – purgatorious year for them anyways and in many ways they overachieved so I'm not you know this isn't nearly as bad as the Bucks loss in my opinion if they do lose which they might not yeah and if you think about it the only top 10 pick the Raptors have in their roster is Stanley Johnson and obviously they didn't draft him and he's not a rotation player you look at the Celtics Kemba Walker was picked in the top 10 Marcus Smart was picked in the top 10 Jalen Brown was picked in the top 10 Jason Tatum was picked in the top 10 and those are their four best players right now. And if you want to throw Gordon Hayward in there, I believe he was also picked in the top 10. So really, talent-wise, it shouldn't be too surprising. Like, obviously, having a developmental system is important and scouting well and picking good second-round picks and undrafted players. And you love these stories of second-rounders and late first-rounders and this and that. But the Celtics have been were, were bad for a long stretch, and they got a lot of really good players because of it. And now they're all basically in their prime. And this is what happens when you draft high multiple years, have a good scouting team, and those players develop. Cough, cough, thunder should do the same. But that's besides the point. <laughs> let's move on to uh, the Lakers-Rocket series, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, 2-1, but these have been outside of the Rockets' win, which was by 15 tight enough games uh they that kind of you know the at the very least game three kind of uh the the lakers kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter i don't know why i can't talk same as game two as well but yeah just i've liked what i've seen from the rockets so far i i still like my prediction that this game will go or that this series would go seven i expected a lot more blowouts though i expected this to be Probably a not very exciting seven-game series just because of the variance of a team like the Rockets. And I thought they'd win games by 20 and lose games by 20. But Harden's been good in the series so far. Slight dip from his regular season, 34 points per game at 32%. But he's also been a lot more efficient with a 69.5% true shooting percentage. So he's been awesome. Russell Westbrook, 
in game one, he put up a lot of points, but was pretty inefficient. Game two was atrocious. A lot of people thought they should have benched him in the fourth. I'm not sure if I'm in that camp just because the threat of a Westbrook is a lot more so than, say, Austin Rivers or Jeff Green or Daniel House or whatever. Uh, and then game three, that one was probably the toughest to swallow just because they combined for 63 points. Westbrook had his best playoff game so far. But on the other end, 62 points from LeBron and AD, and they were both just on fire. Yeah, and if you would have told me that the two, you know, best supporting cast guys for the Lakers, beyond Davis and LeBron, would be Kyle Kuzma and Rajon Rondo. Yes, I was going to get to that. (laughs) I I would not have projected that going on, but it has. And that's really the reason why the Lakers are up, you know, 2-1. And if they don't do that, and if Rondo doesn't have the game two and the game three that he has, it could certainly be 3-0 Rockets. And that's a little concerning if I'm the Lakers because I don't know, you can't expect consistency from your role players game in and game out. But it's just Danny Green has been so bad and KCP has not really gotten much done. And, and, even, and even Marcus Morris, sorry, Marquise Morris hasn't been overly effective. So it, uh, he had that one game, but even still, the question is, the Rockets have had a lot more consistency from their role players throughout the entire playoffs. And if Harden and Westbrook are going to be as good as they were in game three, then, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily a, a, a seven game series. I didn't think it was going to go seven, but it's certainly something I'm thinking is possible at this point. Yeah. They also just lacked house in game three. So maybe that flips things. Uh, he wasn't their main guy on either LeBron or AD, but certainly at least a top three option for them on both of them. Uh, but as for just the rocket supporting guys, Eric Gordon has been great these whole playoffs, 19 points per game in this series, 44% from the field, 42% from three. Robert Covington, 55%, 53%, and 11-5, three steals a game. Obviously, he's known as just one of the best help defenders in the NBA. And it's weird to see now that he's helping. It's become, you know, from the nail to helping from the block, but he's still maintaining that level of production. And then P.J. Tucker, who, I mean, for as far as dudes who are 6'5 go – like, he's not containing Davis by any stretch, but D'Antoni's confident enough to just stick him as the primary guy on Davis, and they they have sent a few double teams there, but that's not always the case when they go to Davis on the post or on the elbow. But, uh, sorry, in the post or on the elbow. But, yeah, Rondo, he didn't have a good game one, but game two, 10 and nine with five steals and okay efficiency. And then game three, somehow explain this to me 21 points nine assists eight for 11 from the field and three for five from three I kind of believe in playoff Rondo now but I still don't think that's worth the headache of regular season Rondo yeah I I think this this series might get him might make him a lot of money not like a Mm -hmm. lot of money like a huge contract but a lot of money as in I don't know what Rondo's future was let's talk one week ago but two games now and things are starting to change and that's kind of how the NBA works but we'll see if he can pick it up because if he can then the Rockets are going to struggle if the if, if Rondo can be a serious third best player for the Lakers he always makes sure he can get uh, another a million dollars with the vet minimum at the very least after every postseason yeah just to make sure that he's still in the league and you know still ruining teams regular seasons and all that uh-huh but 
I, I don't hate the Rockets in this series still, even though they're down 2-1. Uh, who knows if those blowouts will come down the line. Maybe they'll get that help from Daniel House. It's not a personal issue, but didn't disclose what it was. So I'm not sure necessarily the timetable of him coming back. But uh, but yeah, I'm sensing a long series and sensing more awesomeness from Davis, LeBron, Harden, and hopefully, cross your fingers, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that's he's the most volatile guy, but he can be one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. So do you want to move on to the last series, which probably the least interesting, if I had to say so? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not really getting a good, a good feel for this series, to be honest. I mean, the Clippers won a game in a blowout. The Nuggets played really well in the game. And then the Clippers and Nuggets were close for most of the game three until mm-hmm. the Clippers broke out down the stretch. And really, if Jamal Murray is playing better, then the Nuggets have a chance to go two and one in the series. But despite the fact that the games have been good, I feel like I haven't really been able to formulate a lot on it yet. Yeah, so any stock Murray built with me in the last series and whatever I may have said then, it is returned to normalcy. And I think he's fine. I think this is just proof that he's not that consistent. You can't rely on him. And all those uh, legitimate analysts out there who are saying, oh, he's better than SGA. Oh, he's better than Trey Young, blah, blah, blah. They're, They're probably eating their words in this series. That was just a really good matchup for him. Meanwhile, game one, they stuck Kawhi on him. They've also just thrown in in the, in the later two games a bit more Paul George, a bit more Patrick Beverly on him. Uh, so with all those great defenders, he's had decidedly less success than, uh, than what he had in the previous series against the Jazz. And I think that's probably what we should expect, a couple good games, a couple bad games, because that is the Jamal Murray special. The Jamal Murray special. Yeah, the question is, is he overpaid if he's going to be one of the best players in the NBA for a week or two stretch? Okay. Uh, hmm, that's tough because he's overpaid, but I think if the Nuggets wanted to hold on to them, they needed to offer him that contract or else he probably would have gotten to max and restricted free agency. So, right. And then that would have been a more, you know, they wouldn't have been able to sort of control that contract. It would be whoever else wants to make it. And so at least they were able to, to control it in some sense. Mm-hmm. That, it's, it's, it's a toughie for sure. And, um, you know, I think as, as I spoke of previously, the best matchups on uh, Leonard and George are probably Craig and Grant. But if you play Craig and Grant together, you lose a lot of offense. Uh, and Gary Harris has been good defensively, but he's 6'3". So I, I don't really think that that's who you want on either of them, even though, I mean, Kawhi has played a lot better in the first round as well than in the second round. So, you know, good on Harris for whatever he's done with him. But at the same time, Paul George has been 24-6-4 with 50% from the field and and, uh, 46% from three. So he has returned to Paul George levels. Uh, And I think that this probably goes five. I think you had it in four. I I took five because of the bubble weirdness. (laughs) I guess it's going to pay off. But, yeah, they're just the worst hand, period. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because they are a fun team to watch, but they just don't have enough two-way guys, and their one-way guys aren't playing well enough on the other end. For sure. With that being said, Jokic has been good again this series. Yeah. Uh, Jokic so- has been, and he doesn't have to deal with Rudy Gobert. Imagine just being like, okay, I've had to deal with Rudy Gobert for a couple of weeks. Now I have six, seven Montrez Harrell. Like, that is a change. Yeah, and I mean – 
this series has kind of looked good for Gobert in a couple ways, just because Zubots has had a lot of foul trouble trying to contain uh, the white manatee, Nikola Jokic, which is a nickname I just made up for him, but I think it fits. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Uh, and Zubac has been playing well, but you're right. Just dealing with someone like Jokic is not something that most NBA centers can do. Uh, do you have time for the all first teams or all Let's first round it. teams? Let's All get right. the all-first-round teams out to the general public. So my guards for my first team, and I struggled a lot because I wanted to get Kawhi on my first team, but it did not work in the end just positionally. I got Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Giannis Adetokounmpo, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Now, you might have sent some hypocrisy from me, and it is true because I had Jamal Murray as a series MVP, but I had Donovan Mitchell on my first team with Murray on my second team. And you're right, but who cares? Uh, because they were just both good. Don't worry, I fit them both on. Uh, any disagreements? Do you want to just shout out your team and then we could talk about it? Yeah, we'll get my set about my team. I also have Luka Doncic. I also have Donovan Mitchell. But those are the only two guys that we have on the first team together because I do have Jamal Murray on my first team. I just think that compared to Giannis, Giannis was, and I know this is not really how teams are made, but Giannis was pretty much typical Giannis and Jamal Murray was not pretty much typical you know, Jamal Murray. So I wanted to make sure I got him on my first team. Um, and then coming from there, I do not have LeBron. I went with Kawhi Leonard, who I thought was spectacular in round one, just putting up points and, and playing whatever bit of defense was played in that Clippers Maverick series. And then, yes, Chris Steps Porzingis did miss two games of the six, but, and kind of missed half of one when he got ejected. But wow, when he played, was he awesome. And to see the on-off splits with the Mavericks playing Porzingis and not having Porzingis with him just shows how valuable he was in that series. So I have Doncic, Murray, Mitchell, Kawhi, and Chris has Porzingis. By the way, you may have just seen a late change, Matthew, and that's because after just thinking about it once again, I do now have Kawhi over LeBron on my first team. Uh, but yeah, just to get into each other's choices, uh, weird how you structured this just from a, you know, my little sort of nitpicks thing because I mean Luca's a guard and Mitchell's a forward on your thing uh, but but you could swap those around and I would have less of an issue with it but that's just my little hardness I will swap them around (laughs) yeah thank you for dealing with me Uh, then we had to just a couple things I'd like to say about your team maybe you could say some stuff about my team I like your Porzingis pick it's a perfect Matthew Winnick pick Uh, it makes sense it's kind of like I remember when uh, I'm not a big football guy, but I think that this applies here. That that season where Peyton Manning missed the season for the Colts and they were just dog shit pretty much. And I think people were saying, oh, he's technically the MVP because they're so bad. Kind of makes sense with the Porzingis thing as well. Because uh, he was really, really good with the Mavericks and they did miss him a bunch when he was not playing. Uh, outside of that, yeah, I, I picked Giannis over Murray just because names aside, I know that Murray you know, had a higher degree of improvement from the regular season, but 32 points a game and six rebounds, six assists per game with 55% from the field and 53% from three. That's great, but I still think it should go to 31 points a game, 16 rebounds a game, six assists per game, 59% from the field and 39% from three. So I still went with Giannis, even though Murray was more outside of himself in the first round series. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think you can go pretty well either way. And if we want to move over, well, first I'll say just I don't disagree with any of your first team players and the two that you don't have 
that I have that you don't have, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis, which we'll move over to now, I actually do have them both in my second team, which is James Harden, then Giannis, LeBron, Jason Tatum, and Anthony Davis. Yeah, as for mine, that is Harden, Murray, LeBron, Tatum, and Jokic. Uh, so we just, do have nine of our ten players in common. Yeah, I'm actually surprised he didn't choose Jokic. I know he, he didn't really look much like Jokic because he was a lot more perimeter-oriented and a lot less post-oriented. But, I mean, 26, 8, and 5 when 52% from the field, 48% from three. He had some like ugly but effective drives in the, in the, in that series. But I think on the series in its entirety, he was very good, even though Murray was kind of the headline. I mean, yeah, I think that for me, statistics aside, and I know we don't like to use the eye test too, too often, but you're right. It was like weird Jokic and watching it didn't make me feel like he was one of the 10 best players in the first round. Like statistically, sure. He put up his numbers like Jokic does, but in terms of, you know, overall what I'm expecting from Nikola Jokic and what he was able to provide, I'm going to go with Anthony Davis, who I think was more, you know, important to his team in the sense that he was really like against a Portland team that was scoring effectively, but didn't have a lot of size. He was able to take advantage of that. I mean, they did have size, but not at the power forward position. Yeah. That's why he was, I, I shifted him to first team center. I believe he did play a bunch of minutes as a center uh, in the in the first round, uh, which makes sense because I believe I also had him as a center for my All NBA ballot. But it's hard to disagree with thirty nine and four on fifty seven percent from the field and thirty nine percent from three. He was just all over this series, especially like you mentioned on the defensive end. So, hey, AD, congrats to you for being a uh, a winner of a fictional honor. Yeah. So really, the only thing that we have different here is Jokic and Porzingis, and I think that we can both acknowledge that they're both super effective players and different in different ways, great in different ways. But yeah, overall, our all in our our all first team teams make sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny looking back at them now a week and a half later because a lot has changed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just the perception of who these guys are, and uh, just to talk about a couple of them. I mean, Giannis, we we've spent probably at least 20 minutes talking about that whole situation. And we mentioned Murray as well, and just kind of, excuse me, how poor he's been in this series. But yeah, the first round was really exciting this year, and I think I'm going to miss it uh, as we move on to the later rounds. I do really, I already really miss the 1 to 11 days. Now we kind of got like the 6.30 to 11 days, and normally one of the two games isn't even that fun, and, you know, bring it back. Yeah, for sure. Just more NBA. I, I want all the NBA I can get. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I'm feeling good about what we got through today. And hey, next time we meet, there might potentially, I don't think actually scheduling possible, scheduling possible, maybe we'll have a full conference final preview. Yeah, cross your fingers. All right. Thank you very much. And see you guys next time. <laughs>